You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. In the time before Christ, the Jews went through a time of exile. While in exile, they would build temples scattered away from their homeland. During that time, a city named Ephesus was created by the Greeks and taken by the Romans. Roman rulers would connect the world with Rhodes. Paul was able to capitalize on both. Scattered Jewish temples connected by the Roman Empire Rhodes which led Paul to Ephesus, where he pastored for a while, left and then wrote them the letter, titled Ephesians. The lie is that things will always be the way they are. Broken people, broken churches. The truth is that you can become a new man with a new heart and a new mind. The people who follow Christ can be one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all. Ephesians. All right, well, good morning. How are we doing? Great. Oh, I love having the kids with us this morning. You guys have been worshiping. You guys do such a great job. We all can learn from you guys. You guys lift your voices so high, and it's a beautiful thing. If you are visiting and it's your first time here, my name is Brandon, and I'm one of the elders, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church. And let me tell you, you've come on a great day to experience the truth about God as we're concluding our mini foundational series through Ephesians. And if, oh yeah, we're back to like the beginning. Let's go. We've got the, we've got the lively kids in here. If, you, um, if you've been regularly attending with us here um, on Sundays, I really do. I say this all the time, but I really mean it. I hope that you're connecting with people, you're going out to coffee, and you're exploring whether this could be a safe place to call your home and maybe to take that you know, step to become a covenant member. And if you are a glad covenant member, I really do hope you are experiencing the beautiful fruit of what occurs when you get to belong to a people that get to belong to you because it is a beautiful, beautiful thing, not just in the good times, but in the trying times. And so for those of you who are newer and um, we have a couple familiar um, newer faces, here's an invitation a little bit into our family culture. We're going to look at that through these three questions. I'm going to do this probably for a couple more weeks as we are laying a culture as a brand new church. And so here's the first one. Hey, Pastor Brandon, why do you always say when you get up here and you start the sermon, good morning and how are you? Well, those of us who come every Sunday, you know where we're going because a loving family cares to inquire of one another. That's what a family does. You check up on each other. So this is my opportunity to lean into you and to say, hey, what's been going on throughout your week? Maybe you've had positive things. Maybe you've had difficult things, but this is your opportunity before we go into the living word of God to say, where is my internal atmosphere? And how am I doing? Here's the second question. Why do you then encourage me to respond back? Right, right in that moment, that it can be a little bit weird. It's not that weird. A healthy family always exchanges communication. I was just doing that yesterday with my son and daughter, exchanging communication as we're trying to figure out some, some trials that were going on in our home. And so this is your opportunity. In fact, Throughout the sermon, especially today, we're going to be really engaging. We've got our kids in here. We're going to be engaging with them. I want you guys to be engaging with me. And I may even give you a couple of pauses where you can say amen, which means let what just was said be so. And then the final question is this. Why do you then encourage me? And this is the most important one. Why do you then encourage me to say that I'm doing good or well or awesome when I may have had a terrible, terrible week? Here's the thing. Are you asking me to fake it? I'm never asking you to come to church on any day and to fake what's going on in your life. I really want you to know that. Life is very difficult. And even though I'm up here and I'm like, yeah, here we go, Ephesians. Life is difficult. Every day um, has challenges, but I am inviting you to invite Christ into your circumstances to transform it. Those of you know, my wife has been struggling with... Uh, an illness and it's and it's taken her out of work for the last two weeks she's here barely and um and our, our family is leaning in we're trying to figure it out you know i'm trying to do as much as i can to help 
So we have real things going on, but we're always saying, how can we invite Christ into this? And I want to invite you to do the same. And so let's look at this verse real quick in Psalms 23, verse 6. Surely goodness, we've seen this before, and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have to believe that by faith, that every day God promises good things no matter what is going on. And so if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you're bringing your Bibles, we're going to talk about that later, actually, in 2020, why that's so important. I want you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in there in just a little bit. We're going to continue magnifying God throughout this um, book of Ephesians, and it's really all about discovering who we are in light of Christ. And remember, this is the big aim. No matter who you are, whether you're young and you're a child here today, and maybe this is going to be a little bit of a long service, or maybe you are a, you've been to Bible college and you have a degree in the Bible, no matter where you're at in the spectrum, there is something that God has for you, that you would have a living encounter throughout this book of Ephesians. And we're going to try to accomplish that aim today as we end part seven, and we kind of wrap everything together. So let's do a brief review. This is our last review as we kind of bottle cap this whole mini series. Okay. So here we go. In part one titled foundations, and especially because if you've missed one or two of these, which I'm sure some of us have, this is a really important thing before we go deep into part seven. All right. Part one foundations and proclamations in part one, we set the stage for what was going on historically in the book of Ephesians and the many implications that has. And there really is like what was happening historically and how does that change how we interact and read Ephesians? And then we learn what was Paul, the apostle Paul experiencing under light chain house arrest? Because listen, the fact that he was under light chain house arrest and not under like a maximum security type prison changes the whole way we look at Ephesians. And then finally, in part one, we looked at the construction of the book and how we're going to faithfully break it, or I'm going to break it into um, three segments as we march through the book. In part two, it was titled Prayers, Peace, and an Invitation. And we focused on really only verses one and two. We kind of filleted them open and took each word in those two verses and, and saw how much God has for us in this precious book of the Bible. We studied Paul's character. and we, we talked about how he was a man who had murdered so many people, but God had redeemed his story for God-centered purposes. And that is good news because we are sinners saved by grace and we want to enter into our redemption story. And then the biggest thing we learned in that part two was this beautiful invitation that comes from God's grace and mercy for the peace of God. And so Paul opens it up. He says, hey, I know you have struggles going on over there in Ephesus, Gentile believers, and the other people who, who this letter is circulating to, but I have a great invitation and it's filled with the peace of God. And I'm gonna talk to you all about that for the rest of the book. And then in part three titled, Turning on the Switch to Every Single Blessing in Christ, we learn the most important thing that Paul is trying to communicate to us, which is this, God, does the work. Everybody repeat after me. God does the work. He does the work. He predestines everything. He lavishes his blessings upon us. He chooses us first. We don't choose him first. And then we learned that the big invitation Paul's given us so we can step into that peace of God is the spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly places. We've been calling them the seven identifiable blessings of the triune God. And then in part four, titled The Fullness of God's Blessings, segment A, we talked about the first two blessings that come from God our Father, which is to be chosen and to be adopted and how important that is. Think about that. Our Father in heaven chose you and chose me and then took it even further and then adopted us. And there are big implications with that because once we were in darkness and now we are in light, once we were condemned and now we are free in Christ. And that's good news. In part five titled the fullness of God's blessings, part B, we focused on now, what is Jesus specifically bringing? Because they're all worthy to be praised. How do I pray to God, the father? How do I then share my adoration and my affections to God, the son? And so we looked at because of Jesus, we have the radical opportunity to have our story move into God's story. And we call that process redemption. We learned that the, that a relationship with God 
is far superior than any information we can ever learn about God. And then finally, we kind of camped out and we talked about the three-step process of how we walk through redemption and we paralleled that to what the Gauls went through. And we saw that the Gauls' version of redemption was half-best um, or, or was half-baked at best and it was definitely fragmented. But in Christ, we have the opportunity for a full redemption story. And then in part six, just last week, we talked about the fullness of God's blessings, part C, and we talked about two very important things, which is to be what it, that Christ offers us forgiveness. And that's important. There was two parts of that. We have to receive God's forgiveness. We have to then extend forgiveness to others. And that when we can't receive God's forgiveness or we cannot extend forgiveness, we thwart the redemption process that God has us going through. And I don't want that for you. And then we looked at what does it mean to be equipped with all the knowledge that we need to have against Satan's plans for us. And that brings us today to the final part in um, part seven titled, The Fullness of God's Blessings, D, Sealed and Forever Wealthy. Sealed and forever wealthy. And it's going to be all about now casting our focus and our aim specifically on the Holy Spirit. One of the hardest persons of the, of the triune God that most people get kind of weird about. It's like, okay, I get God. I can't see him, but he's big. He's the creator. Oh, I get, I get, I get, I get Jesus. He's kind of like the God man in the flesh. I can read stories. I can relate to him. But whoa, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Now it's getting mystical. It's kind of weird. And a lot of people don't know, how do I even interact with the Holy Spirit? And I'm hoping that you can walk away today taking your first step to worshiping the Holy Spirit for who He is, all right? And so I'm going to have Pastor Jack come up here. and We're going to read one more time, getting that repetition in our hearts. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Creator of the universe, thank you for the expanses of the skies. We just talked about that last week. The depths of the ocean and the reach and the warmth of the sun. For through these gigantic pictures, these big physical pictures that you've designed, we get the sweet song of your creative power and authority across the universe. And it's from that same power and it's coming from that same energy that you have made yourself known to us today and forever 
more. And this was done by the word of your power. So Holy Spirit, empower us as your needy patience as we leap again and we dive deep again into what our Father has for us today in scripture. May we see just how incredible the gift of God's blessings are for the children of the light. May we, may we be those light-filled, greedy for your spiritual blessings type of children that you have created and designed us to be. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> So what if I told you that everything you needed to know, absolutely everything you needed to know about God was revealed and nestled right here in these verses we've been camping out in, in verses three through 14, everything. Like, no, seriously, like what if everything in the entire New Testament was an expansion and a continuation, like a ripple effect, like when you throw a pebble in the water and it ripples, what if Ephesians 3.14 and everything in there was the centerpiece of all that God wants you to know and everything expands from there? And like, what if, and if that was true, what if everything we know about the gospel, everything we think about when it comes to salvation is wrapped up right here in this one complete thought that Paul is sharing from verses 3 through 14. Like, what if when Jesus is speaking primarily in the Gospel of John and he lays out one of the most popular verses, if not the most popular verse, but honestly, one of the most misunderstood verses, John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. What if Paul is literally expanding upon what Jesus is proclaiming? Let, let's take a look at that. We're going to look at right now at John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. We've, we've all seen this before, but let's look at this deeper and let's not stop after verse 16. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send, this is, don't, don't stop at 16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, so what if John chapter three, verses 16 and 17 was a proclamation? Okay, you track and focus in with me. What if Jesus is proclaiming something? He's telling us the what, this is the what about the gospel. This is what it is, okay? This is the central theme of, central theme of Christianity. But what if Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14 is an explanation of what Jesus is proclaiming, meaning, Paul is explaining how this happens and why this happens. Hey, we got to lean into this because this is going to be, this is going to require you to really focus in as we're going to build an important bridge. So I'm going to prepare to put something on the screen for you. We're going to go to class today. And what we're going to do is when you see the verse in black, okay, this is going to be from the gospel of John. And all I'm going to do is put up the faithful verse of John chapter three, verses 16 and 17, because I want you to learn how to see one of our visions here at Redemption City Church is right on our website is that we want to raise up people who can have confidence in the word of God. It's not just about me as a pastor. You can see this for yourself. Then underneath the black text, you're going to see in red, everything that Paul is explaining. Okay. Everybody ready? Okay. Here we go. Okay, so Jesus begins with this proclamation in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Remember that part? Okay, here we go. Paul then provides an explanation to what Jesus just proclaimed. And with the son that God gave came the fullness of God's blessings. Are you seeing this? Namely, the seven identifiable blessings of the triune God in the heavenly places. God loved us so much that he gave us these seven blessings. Okay, let's continue on. Jesus continues with the proclamation and he says this, that whoever believes in him, this famous verse, right? You've been reading your whole life. Paul provides an explanation of what Jesus is saying. You can demonstrate that you, because what good is it, that verse, those who believe in him? How do you do that? So Paul explains, you can demonstrate that you believe in him by believing in these seven identifiable blessings of God. I want to make the word of God practical. What does it mean to believe in God? It means to believe that you're chosen. It means to believe that you're adopted. It means to believe that you're sealed and equipped in all of these blessings. Jesus continues on and he proclaims. 
if you believe, you should not perish, but you would have eternal life. So Paul explains and he expands about what Jesus is saying. He says, hey, you will have this eternal life because you would be counted as chosen and adopted children of God. Okay, so then Jesus proclaims something else because Jesus is man. He's the God man. He's coming. He's saying big things, right? So Jesus proclaims for God. And this is important as a Bible believing Christian. This is important to understand the character of God. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Folks, we have to understand that God didn't come to condemn. He came to save. That is his primary aim. Paul offers an explanation of what Jesus is saying. Instead, he, meaning God, offered forgiveness for all of our sins and the incredible gift of the understanding of his will. Remember, that's blessing number five, to understand his will. How do I know that God did not come to condemn me? Because we struggle with guilt. We struggle with not feeling forgiven by God. How do I know that? Well, what Paul is saying is, hey, he's not just offering forgiveness. He's equipped you with the understanding of his will, the understanding of his character, so that you would be able to have confidence that indeed he did not come to condemn you. Finally, Jesus gives one more proclamation. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the goal. Jesus came, God set his son in order that the world might be saved. And then Paul lands his overarching explanation. And here's what it is saying that this is the redemption story, story, namely that we would be saved through Christ. Like what an amazing collision between the beautiful truth of what Jesus is proclaiming and what Paul declares loudly in biblical unity. I love when we can see these different texts and how they there's fitness there. They fit together. Now, what if I told you that the entire seven identifiable blessings of the triune God that we've been working through are the perfected, track with me, they're the perfected explanation for what God is prescribing through his son Jesus in that verse. So for the rest of your life, when you see John chapter three, verses 16 through 17, I want you to think of that in light of the book of Ephesians. Because here's the thing, if we can spend our time, if you could spend every day chewing and consuming daily on these seven identifiable blessings of God, it will change your life. Like what would it look like for you to add that into your life rhythm? Okay, I'm waking up. Pastor Brennan, how do I have a devotion life? I don't really have one. How do I spend time with God? These are real questions that people struggle with. You don't have to have a fancy devotional rhythm. You don't necessarily have to read the Bible in 365 days. You know a great place to start, a faithful place to start, is saying, I'm going to wake up and spend five to eight minutes exploring these seven blessings that God has given me and asking the Holy Spirit to help me believe. So think about this. If all of this is true, and it is, what if the last portion of this meal, let's think about this as a meal, but God has provided this holy spiritual meal and these blessings. And what if the, the last two blessings that come by the way of the Holy Spirit are like the preservatives of this meal? Now, I don't know if some of you guys kind of think about historically, the way they used to preserve food was with salt, okay? That would help to preserve the food. It would help it to stay um, eatable for longer. So I want you to think about these last two blessings we're going to explore, specifically from the Holy Spirit, as the preservatives of this amazing meal that God has given us. Okay, so here we go. This is blessing number six. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, I'm trying to avoid doing this, but I just want to be faithful. I know we got our kids in here. I used to do this in, in the DNA series, and I know it's a little bit harder to focus. But listen, adults, you got to lean in. You got to be able to focus. Our kids are fine. I really want this to be a place. I really want to build a church where we don't look at our kids as they're some, some like the little people that are in our way. They're not in our way. They're our greatest opportunity for discipleship. And so do your best to focus in. God knows what he's doing this morning. And I believe he has a message for you if you focus. Okay, here we go. Listen, every believer receives the Holy Spirit. Track with me. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit at the moment he or she trusts in Jesus. That's with a period. The moment that you made your decision in Christ, 
God promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon you. We're going to look at that right now in Romans 8. Um, So let's put that on the screen. This is what the word of the Lord says. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. You seeing that? Now, let's look at it from the opposite side as the verse continues. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. There's, there's, there's no other way. If you are in Christ and you are a chosen and adopted son or daughter of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you are not in a relationship with God, you do not have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't some mystical floating reality that has to conjure, we have to conjure him up to do some weird mystical things. The Holy Spirit is a person of God. He activates his relationship with us at the moment we first trusted in God, in Christ. I want to lay that foundation right now. The Holy Spirit is a person of God. Can you see just a little bit better now? It's by and through the Holy Spirit alone. I'm going to say it again. It's by and through the Holy Spirit alone that our security and the seven identifiable blessings of the triune God are forever protected. I want to say that again. It's through the Holy Spirit that these seven blessings are secured forever. Not because Jesus is not faithful, but because we are weak, finicky people that need the power of the Holy Spirit to last in our belief. Does that make sense? We need the Holy Spirit to guide us into eternity because we are too weak to get there on our own. It's not that God's not faithful. It's not that Jesus is not faithful. It's that we need, we're needy children in need of the Holy Spirit to help us get there. So when a person truly becomes a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian, not a church attender, not a talented singer, not a pastor, not a tither, not a good person who does good things, but a genuine believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit promises to take up resident in your life, in your spirit, and permeates in every single thing that you do. And one of the first things, lean in with me, one of the first things the Holy Spirit offers us is these things. Repeat after me. Security, Security. stability, stability, and strength. We're going to be talking about that today. The Holy Spirit provides security, stability, and strength. And we need that in Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. We're going to be all over the Bible today. Here's what the word of the Lord says. The Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is what the Holy Spirit's job is to do, to bear witness, to remind you it's true, to give you confidence. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about right here? Suffering with him so that we might be glorified with him. Like, what, what, what does all that mean? I, th- that sounds kind of miserable, right? I don't want to suffer with him. Like, I thought God's great desire was to give us stability and strength and love and peace. What is all that about? Is he offering stability and security and strength? Where is that in the text? Of course he is. But here's the thing. Outside of God, listen, outside of God, everything else in life can and will disappoint you. I'm going to say it again. Outside of God, everything is unstable. Our health, you just got to live long enough. It's a young man's disease, I call it, thinking that you're invincible. (laughs) Our health will disappoint you. Your family will disappoint you. Your job, your education, society, the world, your children, everything at some, your marriage, everything at some point will disappoint you. All of these promises fail us at times, or at least for a season, but that's not true with God. God never will disappoint you. He is so secure, he's so stable, and he's so strong. In fact, Paul is encouraging us to kind of fill and find and fill and find our way into being stable, secure, and strong in this dangerous and difficult journey into eternity. Because of the fall and because of sin, we're on a dangerous dangerous journey and it requires us to be soaked biblically soaked in truth so here's here's your first truth and i want you to see this on the screen 
All I'm doing is wrapping up what we've talked about. I want this to get landed in your heart. First, God chooses and adopts us. This is for your feeling. I want you to get this. And because God chooses and adopts you, the result of that chosen and adoption is that Jesus, Jesus is freed and released and activated to begin to redeem, forgive, and equip us. I want you to see how this, how this works. This is the faithful order. It doesn't happen in any other way. Jesus came and he proclaimed that everything he does, he does to, onto the Father. I've come to do my Father's will. The order matters. We talked about that in the biblical manhood and womanhood. The order matters because God chose and adopts us. It releases Jesus into his purpose. So Jesus redeems, forgives, and equips us. And then because Jesus has redeemed us, because Jesus has forgiven us, and because Jesus has faithfully equipped us, the Holy Spirit now, as the preservative of everything, seals and guarantees us so we can endure and run our race well. You seeing that? So God chooses and adopts us. Jesus is freed to accomplish his his will, which is to redeem, forgive, and equip us onto the Father who sent him. And then he leaves the Holy Spirit to seal and guarantee us. But this one, and then guess what happens? This is the beautiful thing. We think it stops there, does it? And that gives us confidence to believe that we are again chosen and adopted by God. You see how it continues? I'm chosen, adopted by God. I believe that by faith. And now because of that, Jesus is freed in my life so I can move out of my story into God's story. And I, and I walk through my redemption path. I can radically be forgiven. I can radically forgive others. Are you, this is healing. This is wholeness. This is so important. Lean in with me. The world is broken because of sin. Relationships, shalom, broken. That means that we struggle in our marriages because there is sin in our marriage. We can't relate to each other perfectly anymore. We can't relate to our children perfectly. We can't relate to the creation. The world is dying, it's decaying. But in God, when we understand that we are chosen and adopted by God, it begins a healing process. A healing process. And as you believe by faith that I'm, that I'm chosen, I've been given a new name by God, you are in your redemption story. You are walking in that forgiveness. And the more you are, you are able to soak yourself in the forgiveness of God, you start to be able to forgive your spouse differently. You start to be able to forgive your children differently. Children, you begin to be able to forgive your parents where they've wronged you differently. And then the Holy Spirit guarantees that he will be with you through that. He seals that, which then leads you to worship even more that God has chosen you and adopted you. And that cycle continues. You tracking with me? So what I need you to do right now is understand that this foundation in Christ, our salvation, and the suffering that comes with our journey is so important. And that being sealed by the Holy Spirit and having all these blessings, these seven blessings, are really important to have in their proper place. Because when you swore allegiance to Christ, when you swore your allegiance, that day that you said, Christ, my life is yours. I submit my life. I lay it down. You were signing up for pain. I want you to know that. When you said yes to Christ, you were signing up for a journey and a pilgrimage into pain. In fact, Paul describes it really faithfully. You know how, he's, you know how he describes the journey in Christ? He says it's filled with tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, pearl, and sword. In fact, we're going to look at Paul sort of give an autobiography of himself right now as he describes what it means to walk through your redemption story. And it's going to come out of 2 Corinthians. Let's put that up right now. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians. This is, this is, this is, what, this is the reward of what Paul got. For, for believing by faith that he was chosen and adopted, for walking in the forgiveness of God, for forgiving others and being sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the present he got. Three times, not one, not two, three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. And night and day I have been adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, 
danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold, uh, often without food. I thought God promises our daily bread. Tension points. Let's keep going. In cold and exposure and apart from, er from other things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Wow. Congratulations. You get to be a Christian. That is what we're signing up for. How could a man, how could a man so frequently subject to danger? Come on, think about this. So opposed from every side, so weak, so hungry, so sleepless, how could he avoid an all-out nervous breakdown? I don't know about you, but I might have cracked. How can you avoid an all-out nervous breakdown? Like, why did this man run away? I want us to be at church. I want us to be deep thinkers. Why did he not run away? This is not a Candyland story. This is a true event. What in the world was possessing Paul to not run? He was a Roman blood. He had a way. He's, all he had to do was just change his mind, get back into his Roman culture. Things would have been a lot better for him, but somehow he stayed. What about you? How are you lasting? Somehow Paul stayed. Somehow Paul remained faithful. Somehow he returned again and again into the very same hardship that he could have avoided for comfortable waters. Why? How do you avoid an all-out nervous breakdown? In fact, listen, Paul was so stable, he was so secure, and he was so strong, he not only endured, but he thrived despite everything. He, in fact, he thrived so much that he wrote all these epistles that were spread all over the modern world, and it's changed the, the, literally the course of human history. Good night. You see that stability, say, say stability. stability, that security, and that strength came from a great discovery. Paul had a great discovery, and namely that God had granted him all of these blessings, and he believed it, and he proclaimed it to the rest of the world. That is how he was able to avoid an all-out nervous breakdown. I'm telling you, folks, the entire Bible is wrapped up in this one thought between verses 3 through 14. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that can seal them. Therefore, the Holy Spirit makes us so stable, so secure, and so strong, and we should worship Him for that. Here's what this means. This means that your relationships in your life can be unstable, and they will be at times, but you can remain stable in Christ because the Holy Spirit will stabilize you. Let me say it again. If your goal is to have all of your relationships stable and perfect, you have the wrong aim. It's not going to happen on this side of heaven. This is why you live utterly disappointed. Wrong aim. The aim is to allow the Holy Spirit to stabilize you despite relationships that will have seasons of instability. Sometimes our marriages are not struggling because they're actually having all these problems. Sometimes we have faulty um, expectations. Sometimes our friendships are not working well, not because there's something inherently wrong with them, but we have the wrong orientation to them. We can't expect to have things fully and finally stable on this side of heaven, but we can be stabilized by Christ. This means that when your finances are uncertain, you can live generously no matter what. Well, I, I don't know. The bills are getting too, I, I'm out of control. I don't have enough money for these bills. I can't give in this season. Yes, you can. Even when your finances are not secure, you can lean in based upon the Holy Spirit's promise and still live marked by generosity. This means that your body can be filled with pain. And I, and I know this not just in my head, and I don't know this just from the word. I know this in my life. Your body can be filled with pain, disease. Your heart can be broken into utter pieces from relational brokenness. But you can live whole with joy despite your pain and disease and ailments because the Holy Spirit will strengthen you. 
And I'm telling you that because I know it. The Holy Spirit strengthens me to be a strong man despite the very real reality that I'm a very weak man. But do you know what else all this means? This means that you can actually take steps of faith on your journey and parts of your journey that are way too big for you. Let me say this again. In the Holy Spirit, you can take steps by faith in parts of your journey that are way too big for you because the Holy Spirit will secure you. He will not disappoint you. He will not forsake you. This means you can begin to pour out your life for others when you feel you have nothing to offer because the Holy Spirit will supply you. So who are we? We are a people called to fill and find God's love and Jesus' assurances over our lives through the Holy Spirit alone who secures and strengthens and stabilizes us as the seal that overcomes all uncertainty, weakness, and instability that sin and a broken world has to offer. I want you to chew on that in your personal time at home this week. Because of the Holy Spirit alone, we are secured. We are secured he will secure you, he will strengthen you, and he will stabilize you. Can't you see? God desires our security to be found in nothing else but himself. This is important. God desires our security, our final hope, to be found in him and nobody else. And anything else that we put our final hope in is an obstacle. That's why it's only by... And through the Holy Spirit that we are sealed. That's why it says that in the text. It's by the Holy Spirit alone that we're not sealed through our marriages. <laughs> we're not sealed through our education. We're not sealed through... We're sealed by the Holy Spirit alone. In fact, one of the greatest obstacles to enjoying our security that is granted by the Holy Spirit is finding our full and final hope in anything else. In anything else. Let's look at... Three texts that explain that in a really faithful way so we can see that. Here we go. Romans chapter 11, verses 20 through 21, the beginning. They were broken off because of their unbelief. In red, I've added to help you understand. Their unbelief that it was in God alone. Okay? But you stand fast through faith in God alone. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Can you see? Where we place our full and final hope matters. It's a faith versus unbelief thing. It's believing that God is either good or he's not. He's a good God. He's a good father or he's not. You've got to make a decision. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 through 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of your money, your hope of your marriage, your hope of your relationship. No, the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and which I, Paul, became a minister. Can you see this steadfastness and the stability came from placing their full and final hope in the gospel above all things? And the gospel is the story of God. But pass these passages are declaring loudly that are final and full. Security, strength, and stability is to be sealed by the Holy Spirit, not ourselves. In fact, they're warning us against attempting to put our final hope in anything else. So here we go. If we attempt to find our full and final hope in our health, and this is why people don't like church, listen to me. If you try to put your full and final hope about what makes you secure in your body, the Bible will be an utter threat to you. You will not like this book. If you attempt to put your full and final security in your family, your jobs, and your money, the Bible is going to be a threat to you, and you're not going to like what it has to say. But here's the beauty. Here's what God's trying to do. By lovingly <laughs> threatening all of those inadequate places, 
by lovingly threatening all of those inadequate foundations of where we put our security, our stability, and our strength, the Bible is driving home a deep, relentless love that says, listen, you want to go that way? It's going to be a problem. You want to go that way? Your bones, uh, um, the book of Psalms says, you're going to rot away. You want to do it that way? Proverbs says you're, um, that your flesh will um, perish. And, and basically what it's saying is, try this, try this, try this, try this, try this, try this. They're all going to fail you. And it's his love to say, when you're done with, and you're exhausted and you've tried all your ways, you will see there's only one way. And it's God. God is the one that can supply everything that you need. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is here to seal us, to minister to our hearts, saying this, son and daughter, this morning, sin is an effort to feel secure in anything other than God. Therefore, stop doing that and follow me, is what the Holy Spirit's saying. Christ left me for you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. So who are we? We are a people called to find our full and final hope in God. Because of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit alone. That's, that's, that's a mouthful right there. you got to look at this throughout the week. Fleeing from the temptation of placing our full and final hope in anyone else, which would serve as an obstacle to the joy, satisfaction, and mission God has set before us for His glory. The Bible is a threat and is offensive to anyone that stands opposed to this anthem. This is so important if you want to walk faithfully as a Bible-believing Christian. Now, we have something really important to cover, and we're, we're getting towards the end, but I want you to lean in with me. Before we move on to this final blessing, I want to draw your attention to how I keep proclaiming full and final hope in God, full and final hope in God, full and final hope in God. Now, if I wanted to be a lazy pastor, or more accurately, if, if you were here for the DNA series, if I wanted to be led by cowardly, passive, abandonment to my role. I can just end right here. Trust in God alone. That's easy. Let me go work on that and we can just go home, but I'm not going to do that. I want to be faithful before God. I want to be faithful before you. I want to be faithful as an, as an exhorter and a communicator of this precious book of the Bible. And that means that we have to be able to not be afraid to hold this Bible in tension. We cannot avoid tension points. And that means that we have to wrestle through some hard teaching right now. Because if I leave us there, there's, there's some danger, some deception that the enemy, I believe, will wrongly activate in our hearts. So we're going to look at that. And this is not going to be Pastor Brandon's way. This is not going to be Redemption City Church's way. I'm going to show you God's way. And Jesus demonstrates that this path of discipleship, he's been doing, he, he established this over 2,000 years ago, is very important. So here we go. Let me say a, a couple of things about where we put our hope and how that involves our relationships. Let's talk about where are we put our hope and how that intertwines with relationships. The operative words I've been using is full and final. Full and final. We are not to find our full and final hope in God. But lean in with me. This is not an excuse, people of God, brothers and sisters. This is not an excuse because of your wounds. Yes, we're going to talk about that. Because of your fear, because of your anxiety, and because of your struggles to submit to authority, to open your life to other people, to operate in a sneaky kind of pride and disobedience under the guise of it's just me and God, God and I anthem, or I only need to submit to God anthem, or only God can speak to me anthem. That is a false narrative that scripture never affirms. Putting our full and final hope in God is not to the neglect of community and the need to submit in community to one another and to establish reasonable trust. Are you tracking with me? In fact, if you live that way, where it's just, I just put my trust in God and I have no other places to put trust, you are playing a dangerous, dangerous game. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, 
I see that permeating God's people. One of the things I talked about, I talked to Pastor Jack about living in Oregon when I'm from a totally different region culture is how I see the different wounds that are kind of established in, in each place. It, we're all individuals, but then there's kind of like a societal wound. And being here in Beaverton, Hillsboro, I'm so glad I'm here because I feel so called to help people come out of their fear, to come out of their anxiety, because we are entrapping ourselves in ways that God never planned. There is a freedom in relationships and a trust to be extended. Let's look at now. Let's let's. I'm going to show you some text. I just showed you text that said. Put it all in God. I'm going to show you text now says, wait a minute, put it in others. Is God confused? No. And we're going to collide these tensions together to see most accurately what God is saying to us. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 9, um, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. This can't happen. Think about that. This kind of teaching, becoming wiser, can't happen without extending real deep trust and and becoming teachable. It's impossible. I can't give instruction to someone who refuses to listen and refuses to follow. I can't teach someone who refuses to be teachable. A person can't receive instruction nor be teachable if they don't have trust in the teacher. You can't mentor. You can't coach. You can't pastor without trust. In fact, if you don't believe that your math teacher knows what he's talking about, you're not going to learn the math. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter how much the math teacher knows. If you don't trust that the math teacher knows, you won't be able to establish any trust. You see, all of this requires deep trust in relationships and people. Now, don't run with that. I'm building something. Okay, here we go. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Hmm. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, meaning discipline, is stupid. (laughs) I'm like, isn't that funny that that's is stupid? Proverbs 12, verse 1. Are you seeing this? God is saying in his word, in the same Bible from which he just spoke about putting all of our faith and hope in him, that's still by the Holy Spirit, that the person who is wise and knowledgeable allows others to discipline them, but the one who doesn't is stupid. The one who doesn't is stupid. All of this requires trust in people. How are we, we, we going to do with this? Now, just in case you're saying, wait a minute, um, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. That's, that's mostly talking about the word of God. The word of God is the knowledge. Okay, fine. Let's pull out the big guns then. We're going to pull out Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and if we have to, we'll pull out the big, big guns in Paul. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Come on, stay with me. This is our hour with God. Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Tracking? What does it mean to be subject to the elders? It's talking about those who have spiritual authority over your lives. The Bible has countless stories throughout the Bible that point to this reality that there are wise, here we go, and faithful, those are very important, wise and faithful people that have walked before you, who have walked longer than you, who can see beyond what you can see and can guide you beyond where you can take yourself. There are people that God has put in your life that can see beyond where you can see, that can take you beyond where you can take yourself. And he's placed them in your life for a reason. And this is a part of what I want to hold in tension. The Bible even says that God opposes someone who is too proud and too prideful to humbly follow, humbly submit, and humbly be teachable. But here's the good news. God gives and grants the grace for us to learn how to do that. I'm going to say it again. God grants the gift and the grace so we can learn how to do this. And it can be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Because all this requires trust in our relationships and people. Not everyone, but yes, there are some people, no question about it, that God has put in your life. And you need to have trust, folks. As long as you are 
bottle crapping yourself because of your wounds and you do not allow yourself to trust in the Holy Spirit and how he's writing your story and the people he's putting in your story, you are robbing yourself of all that God has for you. Okay, so let's see if we can answer this and pull these tensions together as we try to land the plane here. Because this is a big tension point. And we're going to look, we're going to look at more texts, okay? We're going to look at 2 Timothy for that answer. How do we select those kind of people? <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me, so Paul's saying, everything you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Okay? So here's the takeaway. And hopefully I can put this together well. God entrusts and equips faithful men and women to then teach and equip others who one day can teach and equip others as well. Therefore, we need to be teachable, wisely extending trust to faithful individuals in our lives that we can imitate having confidence they are imitating Christ. It's all for the glory of God. This is really important. So important. I know it sounds so faithful on paper to say, see, I'm supposed to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, and that means to have faith in him alone. And, and, and I can't trust anybody else. You're living in a prison. <laughs> this is not what God is talking about. God desires for us to use these pathways and these patterns of discipleship and mentorship to help you grow well and healthy in Christ. I'm, I get to watch it every day in my, in, in my staff and the leadership and all the things. I get to watch people literally growing beyond what they ever could when they learned to open their lives, trusting in God and the relationships God has given them and they are blossoming. You can, folks, you have got to trust God and part of trusting God is to extend trust to others. God used Paul to help position and raise up Timothy, Barnabas and Silas. Remember that? Therefore, they had to trust in God. Listen to this. They had to trust in God as they trusted in Paul and be teachable. And what were the results of that? They experienced great fruit in their lives. Are you humbly teachable to anybody in your life? Or is it all just God? Nobody else, can, nobody else can speak into you. No one else you could follow. God used, excuse me. <clears throat> God used Samuel to help position and raise up Saul as well. Therefore, Saul had to trust in God through trusting Samuel and be teachable before Samuel. But did Saul do that well? <laughs> no, he did not. He went on his own way. And what were the consequences on Saul's life? He lost everything. He lost his kingdom. And ultimately, he lost his life. It didn't happen overnight. He looked strong for many decades. Just for some of us, especially some of us men, we can go a long time. No, no, it wasn't overnight. Saul was the big, he was the big bad man. He looked strong for many decades. But eventually, that strength ran out. And he lost his life because he didn't trust God. And part of the ways he didn't trust God was he didn't trust the people God put in his life. Samuel gave him strong warnings, but he did not trust Samuel. He did not follow Samuel. And that is a way that we don't trust God by not trusting what God is doing in our lives. It has devastating consequences. So while this, while 100% unequivocally, we are to trust God alone. We are to trust in the relationships that God strategically puts in our life to faithful men, wise men and women, and take that from the hands of the living God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So, so who are we? We are a people called to wisely, wisely open the doors. Are you ready to do this in your life? Wisely open the doors of our lives to faithful individuals. I'm telling you, something beautiful can happen. Something so beautiful can happen. Who can disciple us beyond what we can see. 
and help us take us beyond where we can go on our own. You can't do it all on your own. I know that I'm, I'm trusting God. Okay, but the way that God primarily works throughout the entire Bible. Look, there are, there are far fewer examples in the Bible of God speaking through the burning bush, of God coming in a Shekinah glory cloud, and there are hundreds and hundreds of examples of God working through people for people for his glory and our joy while never losing sight that our full and final source of security stability and strength is found in God alone this provides assurance that no matter what happens within our circumstances we will be sealed by the Holy Spirit therefore we are free in Christ to take Christ-centered risk if all we do is just have a Bible class, a theology class, and we don't have anything to practically take away from here, we have not done our job this Sunday morning. The fact that you have these seven identifiable blessings of God, the fact that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, I'm inviting you to take a risk and to say, I'm going to risk my comfort relationally, and I'm going to see what God can do. I want to see my God be big in a relationship. I want to open my life to another one. Women, you guys just went on a retreat. I hope that you took a step and you took a risk out of your comfort to believe not fully and finally that these women are perfect, but that God is in it. Are you tracking with me? Fully trust that God is placing these people in your life and open it. Open your life. You have healing just around the corner. Blessing number seven. Um, I, this, we don't, I don't have much to say about this because this is just kind of the reward. We are guaranteed an inheritance, rendering us forever wealthy. Say, we are forever wealthy. Say, I am forever wealthy. Now, in order for us to really understand deeply that this guaranteed inheritance is what it's all about, we're going to have a really quick, brief lesson, okay? And this lesson we're going to do is going to come out of looking one more time as we lock down this um, series, looking at the Gauls. <laughs> so in the ancient times, there's this thing called a sill. Okay. This is where we're going to end. The, literally a sill. Okay. And these seals were used by like kings and princes and noble people. Okay. So when Daniel, remember Daniel in the lion's den? Remember little children, you guys know Daniel in the lion's den story? When Daniel was put in the lion's den by King Darius, King Darius placed a seal on that stone. It's in Daniel chapter uh, 6. And he placed a seal and it says that nothing can change this. No one moves Daniel unless I say so. The seal. The seal of the king. It's, it's a big deal. Any person who, if you break or disturb that seal, you would be, you would, you'd die. <laughs> um, same thing. When Jesus died and they put him in the tomb, um, they put a seal, not just a stone. They put a stone on it. And then they had the seal of the king. Because if anybody moved it, you would die. They didn't, want people th they didn't want people moving the body and then everybody thinking that he was resurrected, right? Which is another reason why we can have faith and confidence in this whole story is because they put the seal on there and nobody broke the seal and he still was gone. Isn't that crazy? Okay, so this seal is a big deal. So when Paul uses this terminology of being sealed by the Holy Spirit, this is a, this is a big, big deal. It's not just sealed like in the way we think of it. It's saying, hey, hey, you know how kings use their seal and there's not, no one will break it? There's a far superior, glorious, heavenly seal established by the chief king in God and that seal is unbreakable. You are forever wealthy and it is unbreakable. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So who are we? Our final, so who are we? We are a people called to relish in the reality that we are forever wealthy, children of God. <laughs> because of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, who guarantees our inheritance with a seal that promises not to disappoint. Mm -hmm. It promises not to disappoint. We're going to end our series, our foundational series, where we started. And we're going to go back to the, the, just the first two verses of where we started this whole thing. And maybe you're going to see it so much differently now. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Remember this? I hope that you see so much more today. Paul, 
<laughs> Who's Paul? Come on, everything you learned, everything you learned. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's you and that's me. I pray that is <laughs> grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that this Paul who just said that, he's doing that from prison. He's not in a comfortable place. He's incarcerated. Yet he's saying, in Christ I can do all things who strengthens me. And in Christ, me and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because we are, <laughs> we are chosen, we are adopted, we are equipped, we are sealed, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, and we are forever, forever, forever wealthy. We are so rich and we are so, so wealthy. He's saying that, hey, break that cycle, Gentile believers. Break the cycle, Redemption City Church. Stop saying, as soon as things get better, I will be better. He's saying, stop that. I'm, my circumstances aren't better, but in Christ, I'm proclaiming I am better. Stop waiting for things to get better and start believing that you can be better. More better is today, not tomorrow. More better is right now, not tomorrow. Because what he's saying is this, more better is not about your circumstances, Gentiles. More better is not about your pain, Redemption City Church. More better is these promises. More better supersedes what you feel. Your feelings are not the boss. More better is these seven identifiable blessings of the triune God that are promised and sealed forever. No matter what, it's sealed by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lord, the creator of the universe, and we should rejoice and be glad in that. Let's pray. Abba Father, <laughs> we've been given on this radical and intentional journey through the first 14 verses of Ephesians now for a couple months and we are so thankful to be so alive to experience the truth of your word and the power that comes from it lord we are so rich and so forever wealthy and we are so undeserved may we demonstrate our love may we demonstrate our affections and our worship not by our deeds nor our effort but by our faith that indeed you are a good good father it's an